Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Scott Morrison, Angus Taylor all say we're going to get to net zero. We're just arguing over a date. And so uh, the question isn't we're having this conversation about a date rather than, okay, what is the policy framework that gets us on a path to cutting emissions out of our economy? There's no real discussion about changing policy at all. Hello, lovely people of pods. Welcome to the show. You're with Catherine Murphy, the host and political editor of Guardian Australia. And with me this week is one of my most favourite people on earth, Adam Morton. That's quite the rap. That- <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, there's a significant pause there, Adam, where you, where, you, uh, where you say something. Anyway, he did. Adam Morton, who is the uh, climate change and environment editor of Guardian Australia. And Look, if you've been following the news this week, you will probably know why Adam and I have felt it necessary to enter our respective pod caves and have a therapy session. Let's be honest, this is actually not a podcast, it's a therapy session, uh, because climate change is, uh, again, back in the news and we're actually sort of moving up to a reasonably important juncture in terms of the the policy, well, if you can call it policy making, uh, we're at an important moment. Uh, the COP26 uh, climate conference in Glasgow is how many weeks? Uh, it's now uh, a fortnight away. A fortnight away by the time we go to air. Yeah, fortnight away. That's that's yes, that's what I thought. Two weeks away. Uh, that's uh, obviously a very important meeting. Five years after the Paris Agreement, number of world leaders are turning up with new ambitious climate pledges. But what I'm referring to in terms of this week is is the process of the government trying to land an agreement on a set of propositions that uh, it that the Prime Minister uh, wants Australia to express at the COP26. So let's just, though, not assume that everybody um, is as tragically enmeshed in the minutiae of the, you know, the last few days as you and me. Let's bring people up to speed. So what's going on, Adam? What's what's going on right at the moment? There's a hell of a lot going on, isn't there? It's We occasionally have these moments in Australian political life, have over the last... I guess, 15 years, maybe longer, of frenzied action on climate change. Suddenly it is the only thing that seems to be talked about in politics. Obviously, asterisk COVID's a little thing that's still going on at the moment. But it is a massive focus <laughs> that has been um, 
both a long time coming and is and then there's been a few things happening that have really brought it to a head quite urgently i think for the government um you know they've uh left it very 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 late in the piece to decide what they're going to do before mm. this major climate conference in 2 weeks and glasgow is expected to be one of the big ones leaders don't turn up to these annual climate conferences they happen every year except last year because of covid leaders don't turn up them uh, all the time. It's only happened in Copenhagen and Paris, and this is supposed to be one where leaders are coming and we're really British hosts of this meeting are hoping for a big step forward. And um, Australia is yet to decide, the Australian government is yet to decide what it's uh, going to take to that conference. And really, I mean, I guess the story of uh, that we're going to talk about now is that's because it just doesn't know how to deal with all the competing pressures it's facing over it, right? Mm-hmm. So it's brought this hectic um, moment on itself. But the backdrop is we've seen a real shift over the last 12 or 18 months in particular, over a longer period, but we've really seen a push over the last 12 to 18 months globally and in Australia of big money, investors, mm-hmm. business, and uh, increasingly um, the governments in the major developed democracies really escalating what they're prepared to do and saying they'll do. And it, um, and I f- it feels like the ground beneath um, the Australian government has shifted really quite quickly. Mm. So that's the big picture backdrop. And there's a whole bunch of things happening in the, the more immediate frame, I guess. Yeah. And it is sort of weird, uh, as you say, it's sort of like, climate change, it's sort of one of those areas where nothing happens for quite a long time except the sound of people who care about climate action banging their head against the wall. Uh, and then we have this, these periods of quite rapid movement and we're definitely in one of those. And the principal thing, obviously, that's um, going on at the time we're recording and I think is likely to go over the weekend and into early next week is this frantic effort by Scott Morrison to try and uh, lock the Nationals into a uh, net zero by 2050 commitment and a roadmap accompanying that and also a whole lot of, (laughs) well, God knows what they'll be, uh, boondoggles um, surrounding that agreement just in order to reassure regional Australia that this is a moment of revitalisation rather than death and destruction. So all of that's playing out in the minutiae. The roadmap went to the government's leadership group for the first time on Monday and there were a bunch of gnats dragged into that meeting as well to be briefed for the first time on the on the contents of the roadmap and the treasury modeling accompanying it uh, we rolled from monday to wednesday which is when the the whole plan went to cabinet and was discussed at cabinet level for the first time uh, you know roadmap treasury modeling general discussion. Uh, But we're sort of in this strange situation where policy is being kind of (laughs) arbitrated or debated by competing op-eds from 
nationals at, at the ministerial level who are, you know, sort of uh, pronouncing their, their respective prices for agreement to net zero in the full public domain rather than in a normal sort of constituted yeah. policy process. So that's that's a bit that's a bit wild. That's a bit unusual. Do you reckon the Nats have spent more time? Some of the leading Nats at least spent more time talking to the media or to actually other members of the government about this? Because I, I wonder if it's the former, really. No, it's, no, it's, no, it's that's been... utterly, utterly reasonable question, yeah. Um, you know, the, when you think about the different constituencies anyway. So, yeah, cabinet, weirdo, weirdo cabinet discussion where they discuss it but cannot make a decision because they have promised, the government has promised that uh, this proposal will be put to the Nationals Party room before an actual concrete decision on the policy is made. So that Nationals Party Room meeting won't happen until Sunday. Uh, and then uh, so presumably if, if, if we're sort of still on the map by Sunday, we'll roll into Monday, which is the return of Parliament for a couple of weeks sitting and, and we'll roll a bit through the next week. So to your point of this being some crazy last-minute business, well, it's like seriously crazy last-minute business this is going to be. Yeah, yeah. I, you answered your own question and I answered a different question, I think, <laughs> that you asked at the outset. But, look, um, this is not answering your question either, but we have this – I know we're going to get into the detail of it, but the backdrop is really we have this ludicrous situation at the moment where this extraordinary amount of energy is being exerted, a lot of it in public and obviously um, plenty more – um, within different forums within the government about whether to sign up to a net zero target by 2050 principally, right? That's the main thing here that they're trying to get over the line. Yeah. A target that, as the Treasurer, Josh Frydenberg, said in a speech a couple of weeks ago, 129 countries have already signed up to this. United the Arab Emirates has signed up mm-hmm. to this. It's, it's very reasonable to be sceptical or stronger about whether everyone who said they're going to do it has actually got a plan to get there or an obvious path that would actually take them there. That's totally valid. But we are having this discussion in Australia, or at least within the Australian government, as though whether the government says it'll do net zero now is the key issue, when the reality really is, are you going to get moving because yeah. the world is, says it's going to get moving and otherwise net zero might happen to you <laughs> rather than a decision you get to make for yourself, right? I think it, it, it's, a, it's a conversation in um, political circles and in some parts of the media that seems entirely divorced from the global reality when the real questions are how much are we going to do in the next few years, what policies are we going to place to get us there, when, you know, Scott Morrison... Um, Angus Taylor all say, we're going to get to net zero. We're just arguing over a date. And so uh, the question isn't, we're having this conversation about a date rather than, okay, what is the policy framework that gets us on a path to cutting emissions out of our economy? And there's no real discussion about changing policy at all. Maybe we see that with the long-term strategy when we get there. You know, who knows? I might be surprised. But at the moment, it's, it's simultaneously a really important conversation and also one that's living in a kind of weird... It's kind of a bit of a fantasy world, I think. Um, I don't know. Is that unfair? Is that unfair? Do you think? No, 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 no. It's not unfair. It's uh, uh, no. It's sort of. Um, it, it's one of those odd uh, experiences where this is a conversation about something. Like it's it's absolutely about something uh, underpinned by a whole lot of nothing. Uh, so it's. Uh, 
it, it's it's definitely uh, <laughs> it's definitely odd. Uh, but anyway, here we are at the something nothing corral. Um, so um, also uh, accompanying the something nothing conversation and part of uh, sort of drilling a bit further into uh, that backdrop you laid out before, that, uh, like, what's changed in order to precipitate this moment in Australian climate policy history? Well, what's happened is is money. Money has shifted sides. Uh, Money for a long time was on the side of delaying action. Now money has definitely uh, shifted to the side of uh, of accelerating action, and as you said beautifully a minute ago, Australia's in the position where you either elect to do net zero or net zero happens to you. So, as part of though this sort of um, you know this this sort of shifting of encampments, for want of a better term, we've seen some very big conversions over the last week or so. One from the Business Council mm. of Australia, which is just astonishing, uh, and the other also astonishing, given the history, from News Corp, which is running Mission Zero. News Corp has gone from being the loudest voice in sort of Australian media institutional voice against climate action to being absolutely for it. Sort of. Yeah, I was uh, going to say, has it? Right. Okay. <laughs> sort, sort of right. over the last week. Anyway, so just just some thoughts, um, Adam, mm. on those two conversions. What do you think about that? Well, they're both interesting, but the Business Council turn, I think, is particularly interesting. I mean, the backdrop here is it was an opponent of the carbon price that was introduced when Julia Gillard was Prime Minister at was part of it. Put out a statement when it was repealed mm. under Tony Abbott. Welcoming, welcoming it. that. That's right. Yeah, bye. Um, <laughs> that's just one example of its, you know, uh, criticism of um, potential climate action over time. Um, and then, uh, before the last election, when Labor said if it, it won under Bill Shorten, it would set a target to cut emissions by forty five percent by twenty thirty. Um, compared to the government's 26 to 28%, it said that the Labor target would be economy wrecking, mm-hmm. right? And that was the position it held up until the last election, which is less than two and a half years ago. Yeah. And then on Saturday, it put out a report with quite a lot of analysis behind it. it you know, it had put some work into it and said we should be signing up to a target of a 46 to 50% mm. cut <laughs> by 2030 um, for the good of the nation and the economy. And... I mean, there's a lot of this means some big shifts internally in the business council there, and I'm sure they regret that statement now two years ago. But they have been trying to make the case that the world has completely turned so much in two years that a 180 degree reversal um, in its position is just an evidence based approach, which is, um, I think, how would we describe it? Nonsense. Um, you know, creative. Um, <laughs> I mean, on one hand, you know, I know a number of people think that it's great that the Business Council has is reflecting the evidence. And some th- couple of things have shifted, right, since over the last couple of years. Joe Biden yes, yeah. is the President of the United States. Donald Trump is not. Joe Biden has a 50% minimum reduction target for 2030. If you can achieve that. that so this is in line with that. Donald Trump had pull, pulled out of the Paris Agreement and was 
backing foss- more fossil fuels, at least in rhetorically, at least. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I guess to some extent, you know, we've seen a shift. Obviously, we've seen a shift in the investment community, and we have seen renewables get cheaper and cheaper. But that were that was already happening mm. two years ago. Mm. The domestic political scene hasn't changed that much. Um, and I don't know. I reckon that it's failure as an organisation to come out and say, look, some things have changed, but basically we got it wrong two years ago, but here's where we are now, really undermines the strength of its position because, you know, it allows uh, Matt Canavan to tweet the National Senator to put out a tweet comparing the two positions and say something about them having net zero integrity or something to that effect. And, you know, he wouldn't be the only one who thought that. I'm not saying that's fair, but I just think it undercuts their position. Mm. I mean, is that – so that's where the Business Council is. Yep. I don't know. Am I being um, no. too harsh No, there? no, no, you're being, you, you you, you're being far more diplomatic and polite than I have been. Um, uh, but, no, that is, that's a very reasonable assessment, I think. Look, the only substantive thing that's changed between uh, 45% being economy wrecking and – 46 uh, to 50% being in the national interest is, uh, well, the two things, as you say, Biden's election. I think that's a fair cop, right? Like that Biden's election and Biden bringing America back into the international climate framework has delivered and we can see a significant impetus in favour of more ambition. But yeah, the principal thing is the investor community. And as you said, because there's no contrition, in this reposition, there's no standing up and saying, well, actually, we shouldn't have said that. We shouldn't have said 45% was bad, you know, economy wrecking. They do leave themselves open to to all kinds of critique. They leave, the, the principal critique they leave themselves open to is that, once again, you know, this is just an articulation of, of um, you know, the interests of business, profits and money because, you know, rather than you know, once upon a time, I am old enough to remember the BCA um, sort of fancying itself as a as an important institutional player in the country that, of course, articulated the interests of its members, but also took seriously its uh, contributions in the public space. And uh, I think, uh, look, I think their behaviour on climate is just appalling, and they would they would do themselves a a favour if they were, if there was even an ounce of contrition. Anyway, News Corp, what do we make of that? I make less of it than I do of the Business Council. It's a very different world to 2007, 2008 now on these issues. We've moved a long way, but I'm also old enough to remember a News Corp getting behind the need for climate action launching its own internal I think it was called One Degree Campaign back then. God, I'd forgotten that. We have heard it before. Look, Mm. you know, what the country's crying out for is um, some solidity of argument and uh, rationality on these issues. So if News Corp was saying and the Business Council was saying, and they're not the same, I'll be clear, that, okay, you know, this is actually what the facts reflect and this is our position now and we're going ahead. And you might be doubtful about us saying this right now because of what we've said in the past, but stick with us. We'll be consistent now and this will build over time. Then great, right? Of course, great. But the reality is, you know, I, the public's really moved on this. I expect that's driving a lot of what the News Corp's doing. We've seen there's been in a bunch of polls. We saw one this week, the Climate of the Nation survey, which is you know, one of maybe the biggest uh, climate um, 
annual climate poll that we have in Australia, and it said 75% of Australians are new hire concerned about climate change and similar sorts of numbers want to see action. Question of these polls is also, as always, whether people stay the same when you ask them, tell them that they're going to have to pay in some way, of course. Yes. But people yes. are really concerned. News Corp's sniffing at that. They're telling, they're obviously talking to the government, who is also trying to find a path through here. I don't pretend to have insight. Um, inside, inside into those links, but I think they exist. And they are um, running a bunch of stories saying, yay, net zero, this will be great for jobs, a great opportunity. It's not going to wreck the place. That's great. There's not really any talk about how we get there. There's not really mm. talk much about policy other than the idea that maybe we should start doing nuclear, which is nuclear. obviously a million miles mm. from where we are politically, right or wrong. And there's not a lot of scrutiny of where the government might be falling down right now on the issue as part of this, which would seem to me, you know, some... And then, of course, you know, you get to the parts of the the vast company that are not adopting this position at the moment, and I think we should, you know, question whether it's worth all the oxygen I've just given it. <laughs> no, well, that's... What do you reckon? No, no, no. Well, well that, that is the, that's the danger. Is it worth all the oxygen we've just given it and that I'll give it for the next two minutes? I mean, probably not. Um, it's sort of, again, it's kind of like, oh, my God, is all you can say. I, I mean, all in order to make the point of, you know, how we get from A to B, you've just got to lay down front pages from the carbon pricing debate to the front pages associated with uh, uh, whatever it is, Project Zero, Mission Zero, whatever it is this week, and it just tells the story. It's just absolutely gobsmacking. Um this one test, if News Corp, as you say, uh, is, has sort of genuinely um, had a reckoning for a bunch of reasons because readers are more onto theirs because James Murdoch's left the family company, you know, whatever, like if whatever's caused it or um, then then great. I, I genuinely welcome that with no kind of uh, with no churlishness because like that'll be a good thing if that's actually happened I think there's one clear test of it um, if uh, if this conversion is a thing or a cause of convenience that will be supplanted by you know another campaign of a different kind um, if there are differences in the major parties uh, when we go to an, a federal election in you know somewhere over the next six months, if there are differences in ambition, if Labor proposes a more ambitious 2030 target than the Morrison government does, is climate action still good? Is climate action still good for jobs and good for the transition and good for the planet and good for the world? Is Joe Hildebrand still bending the curve of civilization towards, you know, a, a good outcome? I mean, that that's the test. Like, that is the one and only test that that sort of establishes the sincerity of this whole exercise because the thing about climate action and and uh, reporting this for a long time and talking about it and trying to show up as we do uh you know most days in our jobs trying to show up for the economic well-being of the country uh the sustainability of the planet and the future of our kids um it's not a cause of convenience it's you don't bend your position on the issue depending on who in politics is championing whatever. Um, you know, you you keep a, a a laser focus on the science, on the economic evidence, on the pol on the veracity of various policies and the efficacy compared to others, and you do your damn job. So if they're if they're showing up, great. 
but I guess we'll find out. Yeah, there's been some, uh, I've seen a bit of commentary in other media saying, you know, this is a, a significant political shift and, and that might be right. You know, I, don't, I think it's too early to say, but if the political shift is, I totally agree with what you say about, you know, when we get actually have comparative policies and we have an election campaign, how it responds to that is a major test here. But also just what is it that this News Corp campaign actually fighting for? What is it arguing for? Um, is it substantial change or is it for the government, which, you know, as we talk, we don't know where the government's going to land ahead of Glasgow and there seems to be endless amount of speculation about what that might be. But if it comes out and says, yes, we will adopt the net zero target for 2050, mm. join the 120-odd other countries at least that have already done it um, and the world has already sort of factored in as a given that countries are wanting to do that. For God's sake, Russia announced the 2060 net zero target the other day. I mean... Anyway, but if it does that, uh, but doesn't back it up with something real that about what it's going to do in the short term, and that there's not a real policy path in addition to whatever it's going to do to support technology, which is important but not enough, um, you know, non-commercialized technology. There's a bunch of stuff it could do right now to deliver emissions cuts in the near term. If it doesn't do that, then it's just sloganeering, right? I mean, it's sort of mm. it's a statement of the obvious. The world is headed in this direction, Australia is, but what's actually anybody doing? And I don't see strong advocacy for a particular, well, not advocacy is not the right word, reporting that that goes into the detail of that, right? And yeah, says, exactly. this is where exactly. we need to be headed and, and we'll test what the government's doing and what Labor proposes to do uh, up against what we believe the evidence tells us is necessary. That'll tell us where we land. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay, so let's do this sort of reasonably quickly. Where do we reckon on the balance of probabilities the government lands in, ahead of Glasgow in terms of policy offerings? And also, we shouldn't forget Labor. Where are they up to at this point in time? Well, you're obviously in some ways better qualified <laughs> to answer this than I am because you're talking to the inside more than I am. But I think that the government's we don't know and and predictions are, you know, yeah, fraught. Yeah. designed to make you look like an idiot. But yeah, you, the most likely, it'll be remarkable if the government doesn't land on a net zero target. I presume that there'll be, you know, huge buckets of cash for the Nats' interests in the regions and we'll be able to test whether that's well directed or not. But if it doesn't sign up to a net zero target, it really will be you know, it's going to be ludicrous. What's all this been for? It has to, Morrison has to land that. It would be crazy. He might as well pack up his tent if he doesn't. Um, I think that the bigger question is where does it land on 2030 and what does the long-term strategy say? It's received wisdom that everyone assumes and I think is right that we're going to get the government will put out projections for future emissions that will say, well, look, we're going to easily beat our target for 2030 how good, and we'll try to take credit for that. As we've reported, actually, depending on where that number lands, a lot of the credit for that lies elsewhere. The government still doesn't have policies in a whole most of the major areas where you can reduce emissions, and the states do, and state targets alone would take us to a 34% cut well in advance nationally. nationally. Yep. So yep. Um, I think we'll get a number that will be in the 30s about where the um, – maybe high 30s even, uh, about where the country's headed. Um, 
But whether the government adopts that as a formal target and whether it actually is stipulating policies that will help it get there or just be claiming credit as though it's proof that it's already acting, I think is a very open question. Open question, yeah. And, you know, having covered a lot of these climate convulsions uh, on, um, you know, on both sides of politics, uh, yeah, the, the one thing that gets imprinted on your mind is that these conversations can get very dangerous inside governments. Yeah, well, some mild history of some problems arising. And can careen entirely off the road. Um, I suspect that won't happen here, but you you just could not rule it out. Um, uh, but anyway... Um, you know, I agree. I think uh, probably the most likely scenario is a net zero commitment, um, truckloads of cash for regional revitalisation. If everything's going splendidly, then Morrison might be able to do something on 2030, but that looks really difficult to me. Um, uh, so I think that's sort of the most likely landing point, but uh, there are others. Um, <laughs> there is a fracturing of the coalition. There's uh, the, you know, destruction of Scott Morrison's prime ministership. Um, anyway, um, uh, don't leave the building because uh, pretty much anything can happen. I, look, I doubt that will happen. I do, but who knows? And Labor, what do you make of where they are at? Uh, watching nervously, I think. <laughs> I mean, is that fair? Yeah, I think that's fair. Clearly, you know, their, their emphasis is on the opportunity and I think that's probably to some extent we haven't seen a lot of it yet, but the government's going to increasingly head there. That's where the, that's where the conversation is now. We're seeing it at state level from governments of both stripes and throughout the investment community, the business council. It's going to be News Corp. We're going to hear about the jobs opportunity. Labor is very big on jobs for the regions and how we can replace the industries that won't have a future in a net zero world with clean industries, green industries in hydrogen and offshore wind and uh, critical minerals and all that sort of stuff. But They've got big questions ahead about where they land on a target. Surely, given where the world is at, we saw the um, UN Secretary-General again this week talk about how we need a global 45% cut by 2030. Implicit in that is developed countries do more. Is Labor going to just watch and adopt whatever the government does and do less than 40, the 45% it said last time? That's going to be a really tough question for them, but they're going to hold their fire as long as they can. I think, and and then the tough question of how you deal with the, without getting the ins and outs of how it works, like the safeguard mechanism, which is supposed to limit industrial emissions, hasn't really. Angus Taylor, the emissions reduction minister, has made clear the government's not going to do anything about that much. They're making some changes, but they're not planning to put real pressure on industry. Labor was proposing to last time. What it does there, I think, is really tricky for them. But it's certainly going to be trying to lead hard with the positive message. And there's more opportunity on that than ever before. It won't get them all the way there, though. If we end up with differences in ambition for the 2030s, 2030, 2035, wherever that lands, uh, I think, uh, sadly, we can um, expect to see another election cycle where that will be weaponised. And Labor will know that. And there are difficulties uh, for them in trying to work out where to position themselves, uh, sort of in the in the gap between Glasgow and the election. Uh, some you know, some really complicated decisions are sitting before them. Can I ask you just about that? I mean, some people who've watched this debate for a long time and lost a lot of hair while watching it 
feel cautiously optimistic or even stronger that the shift we're seeing in the business council, perhaps in News Corp, but certainly like in the investment community and the pressure that's bringing on the government. And then, and we know that, um, let's see where they land, but, you know, Scott Morrison is now feeling inclined to make commitments that he was not that, you know, wouldn't have that long ago. He's not waving pieces of coal around in parliament anymore, that's for sure. Um feel like that we, if the government comes out and has projections that says we're already making deeper cuts than we promised by 2030, however that's expressed, and even if it's not up to what the science says is necessary, that we're moving beyond the politicisation of this, that that is going to end um, with this, which would be remarkable, amazing, really. I mean, do you think that is a real possibility here? I think we are genuinely on a path to that. And that does give me some hope because, uh, you know, we've we've been in this catastrophic cycle for a very, very long time here in a sort of, you know, kind of public conversation and political, you know, deliberation sense. Uh, and I think genuinely what, what has shifted is the region is now a net zero trading region. Uh, the, the shift uh, in terms of um, the, the campaigning that's gone on uh, at the shareholder investor level to try and uh, get companies to accept the science and and uh, face up to it in in a regulatory sense uh, has yielded very significant results, I think, uh, in a short period of time. So we are on a path to to that. We are on a path to that. Um, sadly, I don't think we're quite there yet, though, because the poison that's been injected into the body politic as a consequence of the last 10 years is going to take time to leach from the body. You can't just sort of um, snap your fingers and, and recover from, from that. It's going to take some time. And the problem we've had, uh, you know, you referred earlier, Adam, to the succession of polls, including Climate of the Nation, which is the most authoritative long-term climate poll in the country, showing these large, uh, you know, super majorities basically in favour, people concerned, people in favour of action. But the thing is there, there is still, say, 30% of the country that is not in favour of action, does not accept the science, does not, you know, just thinks this is all bullshit. And, and the reason we've sort of, uh, we've fallen into these terrible times in term, for sense and logic is because of, of the distribution of that 30% across the country. Uh, and, and, you know, that's, that remains. The, yeah. the principal difficulty, you know, sort of before the government at the moment is in terms of landing a deal on net zero is what happens in three Queensland seats, you know, Flynn, Dawson, Capricornia, what happens? Um, can you do the right thing? Can you start to... Can you declare peace in the climate wars or start to uh, and still maintain government? Um, that is that is very much an open question. Yeah, 
and the political imperative is going to win out. You know, we know that, of course, well, you know, uh, whether, whether the weekend is going to still be ending or not at the next election. Yes. If there's a path, if there's a path through that means winning us those handful of marginal seats and that's what it's going to turn on, then that, you know, it's hard to believe that's still not going to be weaponized in some way, right? That's the problem we've got. And look, if you if you look at this through the institutional lens, and by that I mean it's sort of at the investor end of things, and and if you take the long view, like the the great thing about this period is is we have genuinely we've moved, we have moved. We, I'm having conversations with people in the government that would not have happened two years ago. We have moved. There's no doubt about that. Um, it's just, but I just don't think there's an instant victory here for for logic and and good sense. I just don't think there is because there's so much trauma built built up into the system. There is a whole kind of election winning model that basically revolves around the strategic weaponization of this issue. It's quite difficult to unwind all of that, and uh, and you know we've just got to be realistic about that. We've got to. We've got to be hopeful and thankful and grateful that there is evidence of a shift here because there is, there definitely is, but we also need eyes wide open. You know, you, you may want to take up the story here, my friend. Well, no, just the, one of the things we need to have our eyes wide open on is there's a scenario where the government comes out with a, a good political fix for itself in the next week or two. It might not. It might end in disaster or somewhere in between. But a political fix that doesn't actually change anything in a policy sense, right? We currently don't have nationally a consistent policy to transform the electricity national grid. We used to have state-based, you know, piecemeal ad hoc policies. Don't have national transport emissions policy. Don't have national industry emissions policy that's being applied don't have an ag a policy that's consistent and across the board. We have a bit of piecemeal stuff. So we can stitch together what the states are doing and some of the natural shift that's happening um, in, well, not natural, but the shift we're seeing in the electricity system just because solar is so damn cheap, basically, um, which is, you know, making some difference. Grab the, the drop in emissions due to COVID that we've seen and pretend that's something real and a change in mm. a land clearing. We've seen you know, yep. less land clearing than in the past. It's still happening in big ways in some places, but there's been a big, that's a big part of the emissions cut we've seen. And stitch it together and pretend there's action happening by announcing we're at, say, 35 to 40% aiming for by 2030. And we don't have to do anything to get there, but that won't be transforming the economy. But there's a risk that we're all going to bullshit ourselves if we accept that as a as a position, as something meaningful. And, and you know, that's not just a commentary on the government. That's across parties in politics and media and business and everyone. You know, if we haven't got the real policies in place, that has to be the test. And, you know, I, I really very much wonder whether it will be. Yeah. And, I mean, the, the thing we've got to, we can end on this note, I mean, the thing we've got to be acutely conscious of is, uh, you know, this is not something, the, the, the problem that we're facing, the problem that that the world is facing with this enormous structural adjustment before us and with the, uh, you know, the urgent imperative scientifically in terms of trying to prevent the worst case scenario here, it is not fixed with an announcement. It's not fixed with a target. It's not fixed just with a target. 
I'm sorry, I don't want to bring you down wherever you are listening to us this weekend. If you're out, you know, after lockdown walking or whatever you're doing, uh, I don't want to bring you down, but an announcement doesn't fix this. And it's not one of those things that we can fudge. Like if, you know, if Adam and I sound a bit intense sometimes, it's because we know that this is not something that can be fudged. This is not something that you can put out a press release congratulating yourself on and then not worry that you won't be around in 40 years to, you know, basically see the fruits of your labour. This require, This is the biggest thing. I know it seems weird to say that in the middle of a pandemic, which feels like a huge thing, and the pandemic has been a huge thing, my God. But this is literally whether we live or die, whether or not life can be sustained on the planet and whether or not the level of prosperity that I have enjoyed, that Adam has enjoyed, that we hope to bequeath to our kids continues you know, we are the most, you know, one of the most carbon intensive economies in the world. We are sitting ducks, literally, in this whole debate. And so if you think you're just going to send yourself a bouquet of flowers and make an announcement and that's the end of it, well, it isn't the mm. end of it. So that's why we talk about the substance as well as the styling. Yeah. So it's a pretty relaxed time in politics. <laughs> Exactly. Not much going no. on. Yeah, yeah. No, not so, much. No, sorry to undercut all that with uh, flippancy, but no, it's, I mean, <laughs> no, what no. you say is, is no. true. This stuff, I mean, I mean, I think one of the central points you're making there is, I think, if I can assume to put words in your mouth, there's a real risk, and it has happened too often, and it's happening right now, that too much of this is just treated as a political game. How do we, how do yeah. we find the way through the political problem? And to be frank, too much of it is reported and written about that way. Um, and we've, you know, it's it's not just that, you know, the substance no. matters. Exactly. The substance matters. Good note to end on. Thank you guys for listening to our therapy session. Adam and we needed it. Um, I, I'm not entirely convinced you did, but, but we sure did. So... Thank you very much for that. If you think others need this therapy session, and I know that uh, I know there have been a lot of people talking amongst themselves this week about a whole lot of things that's been going on over the, <laughs> the past week, be sure and put the conversation in front of uh, others that might benefit from it. Thank you to Miles Martignoni, who's the EP of this show. Thank you to Karishma Luthria, who will no doubt cut the episode this week. Uh, as I said, Parliament's about to resume. Woohoo! Uh, we will be back next week with whatever the hell happens. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.